Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. This series has six parts. The Second Coming of Christ. By James Boyd. Part 2. The Rapture of the Church. The taking up of the church to meet the Lord in the air is now admitted by almost all who undertake to speak of the coming of Christ as the hope of the believer. Some will have it that it is at the moment of his appearing to the world this takes place, others that it takes place some considerable time before the event. But everyone who loves him, and longs to see him will be exceedingly thankful that the attention of saints is being directed to that glorious advent. Even though all may not be quite agreed regarding the order in which the various events connected with it will shape themselves. At the same time we need to be watchful that the wily foe does not divert our minds and thoughts into channels of error, from the plain paths marked out for them to traverse by the word of God. It is said in Colossians chapter 3, that when he appears we shall appear with him in glory. And in order for this to be so, it is surely needful that we should be with him before he appears. How long, or how short a time it may be that we are with him before he appears I am not prepared to say, but that the world shall not see him until it sees us with him is clear. Again, we are to see him, as he is, 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. Now the world will never see him as he is. It will see him coming with the angels of his might, in flaming fire, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 to 8. As he is, is apart from all regal splendor, and judicial terror, and treading of the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It is as he is at home, in the quiet, and peace, and rest of the Father's house. There we shall see him, and there we shall be like him, he the firstborn among many brethren, and we his brethren around him in that holy place. Were we to wait, like the world, for his appearing, we could neither appear with him nor see him as he is. The passage that speaks of seeing him as he is tells us we are now the children of God, as 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 should read. We can never be more this than we are at the present moment. In one sense we are sons, but yet we await sonship, the redemption of the body, Romans chapter 8 verse 23, for the full thought of sonship is likeness to Christ in glory, conformity to the Son of God. The children we now are, first, by the right given us by Christ on the ground of redemption, John chapter 1 verse 12, second, by the Father's call, 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, third, by the witness of the Spirit, Romans chapter 8 verse 16. And as such we are already manifested. As sons of God we are not yet manifested. For creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God when all its travail will cease and its groans be hushed. Romans chapter 8 verse 19. But as children we are already manifested, and that by the fact that we do righteousness, and love the brethren, whereas the children of the devil are manifested in practicing sin, and in hatred to the brethren, 1 John chapter 3. The children of God exhibit the moral features of the one by whom they have been begotten, as do also the children of the devil. But we are still looking for likeness to Christ and glory with him. This that lies ahead of our present place as children of God has not yet come, but we know that when it is manifested, it will be that we shall be like him, and one great proof of this is that we shall see him as he is. We shall see him, and be with him, and be like him, before he appears. And therefore when he does appear and is seen by the world his saints will be seen with him. Now I turn to John chapter 14. The Lord is about to pass out of the world to the Father, from whom he had come. And what a joy it was to his heart to be going there, however full of gloom, desertion, betrayal, and the abandonment of God was the journey thither. No doubt he could have gone a different way than by the cross, for twelve legions of angels would have made short work of the powers of darkness, and of a hostile world. But two tremendous considerations impelled him to choose the circuitous, and, beyond all creature thought, terrible, route, by way of grim Golgotha. One of these considerations was the glory of God and the fulfillment of the counsels of the Father, and the other his love for his own, whom the Father had given him out of the world. 
He says, that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do, John chapter 14 verse 31, and having loved his own that were in the world. He loved them unto the end, 13 verse 1. He was going beyond the range of their natural vision, and would have to be an object of faith to them, as the unseen God had ever been. But he assures them that there is room for all where he is going. There was room for them, and for every family of faith, in the Father's house. If there was no room for them in the world, as there had been no room for him, there was room for both him and them in another and better sphere. And there he was about to prepare a place for them. And, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. There they would be with him. And there they would see him as he is. It would be very difficult to fit all this into his manifestation in the clouds of heaven, taking vengeance upon the wicked. I cannot see how it is possible to reconcile his coming to receive us to himself in the Father's house, and our seeing him as he is with his manifestation to the world, when every eye shall see him. In the epistles to the Thessalonian believers, the coming of the Lord is the one great subject. These saints had, by faith in the gospel, been turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come, or rather our deliverer from the coming wrath. It is more one who would deliver than one who had done so. This coming is the general thought of his coming, though they could only think of it in connection with his coming to judge the world, for it was in this character he was presented to men in the gospel. The truth of the rapture does not cast a shadow on the appearing, but rather clarifies and brightens it before the soul. It can scarcely be questioned that epistles were written by the apostles to the churches other than those which by the grace of God have been preserved to us. Meat in due season was given to the saints, that is to say, truth as they were able to bear it. It would be a great mistake to suppose that no assembly of God except that at Thessalonica was instructed into the truth regarding the coming of Christ. Yet it is the epistles which were written to this church which are almost wholly occupied with this subject. Colossians chapter 4 verse 16 would lead us to suppose that the epistles to the various assemblies may have been handed about from one to another. But we have that which God in his infinite wisdom and love saw fit that we should have, as a perfect revelation of his mind for our guidance during this whole dispensation. Therefore we do not find any useless repetitions, but every stone in the glorious edifice of divine revelation set by a master hand in its own rightful place, and giving forth its own peculiar ray of living light. And all in the most perfect harmony for the enlightenment and comfort of his people. One text was enough to silence the devil, and one text is enough for the man of God. It was necessary for the comfort of these Thessalonians that the general hope of the coming of the deliver should be particularized, that they should have the events connected therewith in their proper order, and the difficulties which beset their faith should be cleared up. Some of their brethren had fallen asleep, and what about them? They would not be here to share in his glory and the blessings of his kingdom and reign. And this of itself shows us the hold this hope had upon their hearts. They did not expect any of their number to fall asleep before that event would take place. The word of God never puts the coming of the Lord beyond the lifetime of the saints who wait for him. The things spoken of as certain to precede this event, such as the death of Peter and Paul, and the evils of the last days, were not things that could not have taken place within the lifetime of the saints then living. Peter was not young when the Lord told him what would take place when he would be old, Paul might have been slain any day after he reached Rome, and evil develops very rapidly. But this I must leave for another chapter. But the hearts of these Thessalonian believers must be comforted regarding those for whom they sorrowed so deeply. Them also which sleep, he says, in Jesus will God bring with him. When he returns the saints whom they had laid in the graves would come with him.
When God brings his first begotten into the world, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6, his saints will be with him. It is exactly what we have in Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. But mark the way in which this blessed truth is introduced. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The death and resurrection of Jesus is brought in because the resurrection of his own is to be like his. His resurrection is the great pattern of that of his saints who sleep through him. The world never saw him after he was laid in the cave by his sorrowing disciples, nor will it ever see him until he comes in glory. But this will also be true of his own. The hope of Christ's second coming, by S. P. Tregethys, a more unfair and false witness to the truth it would be difficult to find, speaks of the visible opening of the graves, when dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Page 96. But where is this said of them? That the angel rolled away the stone from the mouth of the cave where Jesus had lain is not questioned. But who will say that it was to let out the body of our blessed Saviour? Surely it was rather to show how death had been already vanquished. The angel who did this says to the woman, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, Matthew chapter 28 verse 6. It may be replied to this that I am forgetting Matthew chapter 27 verses 52 to 53. But this also was for a witness to the power of the death of Christ, as that which had annulled both death and the one who had the power of it. As to whether these are included in the first resurrection, or whether they returned to the graves again when they had rendered their testimony scripture does not say, and where scripture is silent we must also be. I see no necessity of the opening of the sepulchre of our Lord to set him free, nor of ours either, who come forth with spiritual bodies. A secret resurrection, and a secret taking of his people to himself, are utterly denied by the writer of the book in question. He says that everything must be open and manifest. The graves must be opened, the dead raised in visible glory, and all caught up in the sight of everybody, pages 96 and 97. This is a complete denial of our appearing with him in glory, for all this, we are told, must take place after his appearing. Our appearing would not be at the same moment with his, nor, indeed, if there were no secret rapture, would it be with him at all, but rather, we should appear, some of us from our graves rising in glory. Others as changed, and all going up to meet him in the air. Instead of being seen coming with him, we would be seen going to him. This is a complete reversal of the teaching of scripture. But if the Thessalonian believers who had passed away from this world, by, falling asleep, were to come with Jesus when God should bring him again into the world. It was necessary that they should be taken to be with him previous to his appearing. And this is brought before them in the parenthesis from verse 15 to 18 of chapter 4. And that which he brings before them forms the subject of a special revelation. He speaks by, the word of the Lord. I need scarcely say that all the apostle wrote to the churches, except a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, was by the word of the Lord. And one of the tests of the spirituality of a saint was the acknowledgement that the things be wrote to them were, the commandments of the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 37. But while this is true, there are certain communications, which, because of the great importance, he draws special attention to as distinct and specific revelations. One of these is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and refers to the supper of the Lord, another we have here. The living, he tells them, shall have no advantage over those fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This special revelation given for the comfort of the hearts of sorrowing and bewildered disciples, is the grand and perfect explanation regarding the way in which God shall be able to bring his people along with his firstborn into the world. In this connection there does not seem to be any attendance with the Lord. It looks as though he were unaccompanied. 
he comes only for his own, and what needs he with angelic hosts? Perhaps it will be said there is the voice of the archangel. But in this case the voice is only characteristic. It is with archangel's voice. In his manifestation the angels have a very prominent part, and in connection with the gathering together of the elect of Israel they have a very great service to render, Matthew chapter 24 verses 30 to 31, 23 31, 16 27. I do not see any indications of angelic companions in this instance. But I should not dogmatize on the subject. In speaking of this, Trigathus says page 17, the scene presented is the reverse of secrecy. To say that this triple sound shall not be heard by all would be a mere addition to holy scripture of a kind that contradicts its testimony. But what about a man who would affirm that it is heard by all? What would such a person be doing other than adding to scripture? The passage does not say that any single soul of man, living or dead, saint or sinner, saved or unsaved, shall hear this triple sound. Though surely the impression left in the mind by these words is that at least those spoken of in the passage as those for whom he comes shall hear it. Shall the wicked dead hear it? If not, why should it be heard by the wicked living? But this triple sound proves nothing as to the publicity or secrecy of the rapture of the church. Not only that, but the effort to prove a public taking away of the church is clean contrary to the word of God, which makes our life a hidden one with Christ in God, and gives no prospect of an appearing until Christ appears, and then we appear with him in glory. I affirm, and from that passage alone, that we shall not be seen going up. The way in which the Lord presents himself to the remnant of Israel in his closing words to that nation by the prophet Malachi, in contrast with his last words to ourselves who are of this dispensation, is worthy of notice. To them, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. But to us he is both the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, Revelation chapter 22 verse 16. We know how brightly the morning star breaks upon the vision while it is yet night and even before the coming Lord of day has cast a single beam of light over the eastern hills. Not those who sleep during the night, but the weary watchers, are gladdened by its brightness. Now were there nothing in the order in which these luminaries manifest themselves, I do not see why it should not have been the star for Israel and the sun for us, for we are, even at this present moment, more in the light of the coming day than Israel will be when the sun is risen. The light that will illuminate God's earthly people, and spread its healing wings over the whole wounded earth, will be the light of Christ radiant in the church. The saved nations will walk in the light of it, and the leaves of the tree of life, growing within its jasper walls, will heal their woes. Revelation chapter 21 verse 24, 22-2. I cannot doubt that the wings of the Son of Righteousness, in which there is this gracious healing, are his saints, who come with him through the opened heaven. Then again, we are the sons of the day. We have our origin in the light that shall drive the clouds of night from this evil world, when the time comes for him, in whom all light centers, to show himself. We are neither of the night nor of the darkness, nor are we in the night nor in the darkness. The world is in both, and it is either asleep or drunken. If outwardly it is night, and darkness all around us, our hearts are in the light of the coming day. And as sons of the day we show forth in the midst of the world's night, the virtues of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore it is impossible that that day should overtake us as a thief, or indeed in any way seize or come suddenly upon, for this is really the meaning of the word, us in any way. For God has not appointed us to wrath, as the world and Israel are, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. As we are told in Romans chapter 5 verse 9. We shall be saved from wrath through him, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, our deliverer from the coming wrath. He died for us, that whether we are among the living or amongst those who sleep in Jesus, we should live together with him.
it can scarcely be questioned that the seven churches of Revelation give a forecast of the various stages through which the Church of God was to pass, from the moment when it could be said to be fallen until as nauseous to Christ, it would be spewed out of his mouth. And there, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, which I have no doubt takes in the whole body of Christ upon earth, the Lord says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now this does not refer to any preservation accorded to the church. As a company going through this time of trial, they are not simply kept from the temptation, but from the hour in which that temptation comes upon the whole world. How could such a preservation be extended to the church other than by its being taken out of the scene of the trial altogether before the trial come? The church is not only not in the temptation, but is not under heaven in the hour in which it exists. We are not preserved through the wrath when it is present, nor are we taken out of the midst of it when it begins to burn, but we are removed from this world before it comes. And this is in perfect harmony with the disappearance of the church before the appearing of Christ to judge the world, and also with seeing him as he is and with our appearing with him at the moment of his appearing. Of course, a person might say he refuses altogether the notion that these churches, Revelation chapter 2 verse 3, should be taken to set forth the history of the whole church of God in its responsible career on earth. But if he did I should think he had still something to learn. I only refer to the passage to show its complete harmony with all that I have advanced as to the rapture, and I say, the secret rapture of the church. Scripture is clear on the point that there is no appearance of the saints in glory until Christ appears. Hence that the notion of the triple sound, shout, archangel's voice, and trump of God, being heard by everybody, graves opened, dead raised in glory, living changed, and all caught up to meet the Lord in the air in the sight of all, is but a fictitious vagary of the human mind becomes evident. That we are to see him as he is precludes the thought of our not seeing him until his manifestation to the world, for as he is the world will never see him. If every eye were to see him as he is, it could scarcely be a proof for us that we should be like him at his appearing. And as this it is brought to our minds in 1 John chapter 3. And this being known by us causes us to purify ourselves according to that blessed standard. One other passage, Revelation chapter 19. Here we have the marriage of the Lamb in heaven before he comes forth in judgment. For this to take place, the bride must be there. The harlot is judged in chapter 18, and on this account heaven resounds with the praises of God. Also there is great gladness and rejoicing in heaven, because the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. She is arrayed in fine linen, which is the righteousness of saints. Next, heaven is opened, and the Lord rides forth to judge and make war, followed by the armies which were in heaven. Who this bride is, chapters 21 and 22 leave no doubt on our minds. She is the church, the heavenly bride, as the earthly Jerusalem is the earthly bride. The heavenly is the bride of the Lamb, the earthly the bride of Jehovah, as King of Israel. Taking all these things that we have had before us into consideration we cannot get away from the truth of a secret rapture of the church, and a time in heaven with Christ previous to his appearing to the world. Of the things of which we have been speaking this is the sum, first, he assures his disciples he is coming to bring them into the place he has prepared for them in the Father's house, John chapter 14. Second, the dead in Christ are raised as he was. His death and resurrection are referred to as a kind of headline or pattern of theirs. His resurrection and ascension were secret from the world, so shall theirs be. Third, the way this is brought about is by the Lord's coming into the air, and calling all up to himself, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Fourth, we are to see him, as he is. To wait for his manifestation would be to see him risen from off the throne of the Father and coming in judgment. 
This is not as he is, 1 John chapter 3. Fifth, the marriage of the church to the Lamb takes place in heaven before his appearing, Revelation chapter 19. Sixth, when he appears, we appear with him in glory, Colossians chapter 3. The impossibility of this is evident if we await his appearing before being caught up. Seventh, he keeps us from the hour of temptation that comes upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth, Revelation chapter 3. Eighth, he is the morning star for the church, for Israel the son of righteousness. I have confined myself, for the setting forth of the opposite side, to a paper by S. P. Tregethlis. As I take him to be one of the great leaders in the school of thought which I believe to be opposed to scripture. I have spoken of his unfairness and falsity in that paper, because he designates as sentimentalists and emotional teachers those who hold the doctrine of a secret rapture. Though he well knew that those who were largely used of God to bring this truth before the hearts of his people could not be characterized as either. In the judgment of the author they were men who cared little about textual criticism, or the letter of scripture. Not so thought F. W. Newman the infidel. For he spoke of the teacher who, more than any other, brought the rapture before the hearts of saints, as the one man above all he had ever met. Who was determined that no statement of scripture would be to him a dead letter, or words to that effect. But no man can afford to be fair who has an unscriptural theory to propagate or defend. Note the strange questions on page 78 of this tract, if the secret advent and secret removal of the church be true, how can the advocates of this theory show that the secret event did not take place long ago? How do they know but that they themselves are living in the supposed interval between the secret coming of Christ and his coming in glory? And thus, how can they be sure that they are part of the church at all? In fact, if the secret rapture theory were true, they might be devoid of all knowledge of what way of salvation, amongst the confused theories, is now available. For the preaching of the gospel may have ended with the rapture and resurrection of the church, and if this is a private occurrence, it may be long past, without anyone being aware of it. And yet this writer was not an infidel, but supposed to be an earnest Christian. I should be inclined to ask those who have republished this tract how they know Christ is risen. How they know they are children of God. How they know they have the spirit of adoption. How they know they have passed out of death into life. How they know what dispensation they are in at the present moment. Is it only by seeing, Anno Domini, placed after 1913 that we know we are in the Christian era? What is the meaning of, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Acts chapter 19 verse 2. Or, examine yourselves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3. Or, we know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren, 1 John chapter 3 verse 14. I might ask many other such questions, the answer to which will suffice for answers to all these questions asked by S. P. Tregethlis. But I will bring this chapter to a close. The truth concerning the Church of God must, with the help of the Lord, occupy us for a little before taking up the question of the place it has during the time of trial. To which those that dwell on the earth shall be subjected before the appearing of the Lord, when we are to appear with him. In the meantime may we be characterized by the spirit of the bride, who has but one word to say to him, and that word, come. End of part 2 of 6